All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, we're going to jam with Patrick, who is a venture capitalist, writer, and speaker who has invested in leading companies in the United States, Latin America, Europe, and Asia. He's the creator and host of the hit podcast, FOMO Sapiens, which is distributed by Harvard Business Review. Patrick coined the term FOMO, which I just thought just appeared one day, so this is exciting, short for fear of missing out, which was added to the Oxford English Dictionary in 2013. I mean, that's pretty cool, right? Welcome. Thank you. Yeah, that's, listen, that's, it works at cocktail parties to get people to be really nice to me and people don't forget me. I just walk around with the dictionary. Be like, this is me. (laughs) (laughs) I actually don't even own a physical dictionary. That's, you know, I'm going to buy one. You should. That it's a fun, yeah, it's nice. I feel it's it's something you probably don't think about growing up, but then when it happens and you have a a word that you invented or a term in a dictionary like that, it's got to be a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I I recommend it to everybody to do it. Because it's like, because it's just... It, it, the real thing is that for real, uh, that people ever since this all happened, the phone, cause I was just like, I'm, I didn't have a word I invented before. I was just a wordless dude. And ever since this happened, like whenever I go to some event or it, there's always like one person I know. And like, by the time I leave, everybody in the room knows it spreads like wildfire and people will come up to me and say, is this really true? And, um, it's just a great way to meet people and people are always curious. So it's like an amazing icebreaker, no matter where you are. Absolutely. Well, it's, I'm excited to have you. It's, it's selfishly, I've had, you're, you're the second person now that invented some pretty, uh, historic terms. I've had Chris, Chris Messina on before, venture of the hashtag, and then now we've got you and FOMO. So before we get into all of that and the backstory and your work, I just love to know just who are you? You know, who, who, what defines you, the, the person we've got in front of, uh, of us right now today? That's a great question. And how much time do you have? <laughs> so listen, I, I, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I grew up in the state of Maine, uh, came from a really normal middle-class background, I was always ambitious and decided to go out in the world. And so I've been able to travel around the world and as an investor, as a writer. And, you know, these days, I guess what I focus a lot of energy on is sort of sharing what I've learned about unique ways of just leaving the treadmill and also just trying to make a positive impact in the world around me. Love it. How how did it all start? Like, how did you, how did you get into investing and writing? Like what, what's that backstory? So I, when I was graduating from college, um, the most high paying job was to work on Wall Street. And I was in love with Latin America. I'd lived in Argentina in college. So I decided to combine those things and do Latin American investment banking, which I hated and was bad at. And I was about to quit. And my boss said, you know, we have an opportunity in the venture capital group. This was a long time ago. I was like, what is venture capital? Uh, I don't think I'm interested. But he said, please just learn more. And so I ended up getting this job. And that turned me on to becoming an investor in startups. And then from there, over time, I had a bunch of ups and downs in my career. In fact, at one point, my career blew up in spectacular fashion and I started to write about it. And then Mm. over time, through a lot of crazy circuitous things, because like ask any author how they got their book published and you'll have a different story. There's no, there's no common story. I mean, mine was basically through FOMO. 
And that book came out and it just kind of went global and it opened up this opportunity for me to really start communicating my ideas to people all over the place, which was for me, like was like the secret dream I never would admit to because I was just like, that's not going to happen. But if you could, if you'd asked me what I wanted to do as a kid, I think I'm, I'm pretty close to, to where I, I guess I would have wanted to be. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. And like what, I guess just going back there, like where, where did that interest come from when you were a kid? Were you surrounded by that? Or is it just something that you've, you've seen other people and you're like, ah, you know, I'd love to do something like that. (laughs) So I come from a very small town in Maine and no, I never saw these kinds of things at all. (laughs) But my brother and I were very much encouraged. My brother's a jazz musician here in New York city. So also doing something pretty, I think pretty cool. Yeah. And my parents really you know, whatever we were interested in, they supported us. And so if for anybody who has kids, like if your child decides that they're interested in, you know, civil war history, get in the car and drive to the South and go to the battlefields, you know, just like support the unique interests of the kids. And we had very random interests and my parents were able to support that. And so as a result, I was always interested in creative, but then the world of elite academic institutions beat all that out of me. And I became very much like a treadmill walking, you know, sort of like Wall Street guy. And when the financial crisis happened and everything blew up that I had been doing and, you know, my career was like in spectacular free fall in 2008, I sort of lost everything. And so it freed me to be open minded about getting back to some of those pursuits that I had thought, you know, they just were almost like healing for me when I was feeling low. Sure. And then I was able to integrate them into the career that I have today. Did you, so in, in that moment, Cause I feel like a lot of people have those shakeups, let's say like something big happens. Right. And then all of a sudden the, the, the path shifts or something. Um, I'm curious if you remember when you're back in, in that time, like some of the questions you might've been thinking about or like how you process the situation like that. Cause I mean, a lot of us, I mean, we all continue to go through these moments, obviously, like that's the, the journey of life essentially. Um, but I'm always curious to see how people mentally navigate those big decisions. Have you ever heard of Bruce Feiler and his book, Life is in the Transitions? Do you know that book? No, I don't, but I'm going to take note of that. He's, he's somebody that I think you would really enjoy and all listeners would enjoy. And he came on my podcast, Fomo Sapiens, I guess like a year ago. And his book is all about this question of all of us have what he calls life crashes when You know, when things just go to really bad and it could be a a million things could be internally. um, It could be something like I cheated on my wife with her sister. And now, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing where it's like you chose to do that. Or it could be I had an illness or I lost my job or whatever. And then when a bunch of them happen at once, he calls it um, a a pile up of life (laughs) crashes. Right. And I had a pile up in 2008. I had a career blow up that was crazy. I had a healthcare, a health blow up where I got really sick from all the stress and was like, I had blurry vision for six months and I was on a heart monitor. I mean, you name it, like it was wow. dark. And yeah. so I was, and I was in my early thirties and I just remember, well, I felt a lot of feelings. I was super low and I didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to see people. I felt, I felt, I, I felt embarrassed. I felt ashamed. I felt I had done something wrong. I blamed myself. And the thing that I started to really ask myself though, which was like, I think the most powerful ingredient for me to make a meaningful change in my life was I said, listen, you know, you've done 
better than you could have ever hoped for. Like the things that I had achieved to that point, I hadn't even, I'm not a person who like, I've never been a person who's like, well, when I'm 30, I'm going to do this and I'm 40. I never did that. I don't, I want to have 50 million in the bank. That's not me. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I think in the present, like I always have been that way. It's hard for me to think like more than a month out and that has its benefits and it's, and it's shortfalls. But I was never that guy who was like, well, you know, I need to have this much, much money or these things or whatever. But I did know, like, listen, I've done a lot of things that like I hadn't didn't even know they existed as a kid. Like, you know, I wanted my goals weren't all that lofty. And so I've done really well. And yet I'm miserable and I don't feel good. And my life is is not happy. And mm. that major insight was extraordinarily motivating to be like, I'm gonna change a lot of things. And first I gotta get healthy because making change is hard when you're sick. But yeah. then after that, I'm gonna be fearless about like triaging and changing a lot of things. Okay. So it was, the, it was that happiness link. Something mm-hmm. was off there. You could feel it. Enough's enough type thing. Yeah. And then you, uh, so what did you do? Did you, did you start, like, how do you even start? That's a big thing, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I often ask people about, or use the, the, the example prompt of, are you happy? And depending on if it's either a yes or no, and if you're answering no, I mean, that could be a pretty loaded question, mm. right? And it's, it's now you have the insight, but do you want to do something with that insight and, and, and take some action for it? I mean, that's easier said than done. Yeah. And I had the benefit. I mean, I come from a place of, I would say, relative privilege in a sense that I was, I'm a pretty happy person. I've not had yeah. to deal with issues that cause like mental health issues and stuff like, you know, it, it before that period of time, I hadn't been through something like that. So I'm, I'm the kind of person who like, on 99% of days, I wake up and think this could be the best day of my life. I really do wake up that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but not then. And so I, I kind of knew number one, I had to like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like I needed to get healthy first. So I actually got, went pretty hardcore into like, I changed my diet. I started running all the time, like 40 miles a week. I just sort of leaned into, transforming myself back to like, cause I had just gotten really out of shape traveling the way I did. I was always on a plane and eating out and all this sort of stuff. Yeah. So I did that bit and that took about, it took about six months, um, to really sort of mm. pull it back into a healthy place where I felt strong. And then from there, I actually, and you know, it's interesting that I've gone on to write a lot because I really took to writing. I started writing in this, I've had this moleskin that I purchased just to be like, this is my moleskin to write in. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, it's like expensive ish. So you're like, well, yeah. I invested a lot in this. So I'm going to use it for really great ideas. And so I wrote, you know, why I wanted to make changes, what I wanted to do, what the steps were. And it was really easy in the beginning. I mean, the, the beginning is easy. The quitting part is easy. I want to quit my job. Like, okay, yeah. fine. Like that, that's fine. The stuff that came beyond it, like how, what am I going to do next? What do I want my life to look like? Like, how can I build something new? That was like a very long and painful and lonely and sometimes very difficult journey for me. Yeah. But they are still the thing with those questions that at least that I like, cause I, I, I resonate with a lot of your story. I mean, we obviously have different paths, but the feelings I feel like we probably share in, in certain parts of our life and what I found with those progressive type questions, they're, you know, they're painful to, to answer at times, but at least they're always, they're moving you forward in some capacity versus like a, why did this happen to me? Why me? That just drives you down and down and down. And like, it doesn't surface you out of that stuff. Right. So at least you were, you were kind of moving through it. And then it, it, clearly something happened because <laughs> here, here, here we are. And it seems like you're, you're super happy in terms of the work that you're doing and, and the stuff that you're involved with. Right. 
Yeah. And I think, you know, you just mentioned something, which is I never dwelled on regret. And I think regret, and I've seen this with, I'm not going to name names, but I had seen it with people who they spend, they mess up or something bad happens and then they just dwell in that. And I have never believed that regret was a productive emotion, unless it's like regret that you hurt somebody and you won't hurt them again. But from a personal perspective, like I just never really did that. I never have. And so I didn't think about like, well, I could have done this or I should have done that or I should have sold my stocks. None of that. It was more about like, what can we do now to learn from what happened and then do things differently so that I don't ever, like my kind of thing was like, I did everything right. The world blew up on me because I was, because some guy on the other side of the world made a bunch of bad decisions in my company and the world blew up. I don't want to, like, I will never be that exposed again, I will be diversified going forward. And that really became like a big mantra is mm, like learning. diversification and autonomy became really important to me in the way that they had never been before. I was like happy to have just one job. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. All right, friends, I've got something for you that I've personally seen and continue to see the benefits from in my sleep and mood. And I have some awesome Black Friday deals starting right now, running all month long. If you're feeling stressed out or haven't been sleeping well lately, you're definitely not alone. You might not be able to change all the chaos out there, but along with your mental fitness practices, you can also start supplementing with one key nutrient to help improve your sleep quality as well as over 600 other biochemical reactions in your body. I've been using this product for months now and it's the real deal. Magnesium Breakthrough is one of the only products I've found that has all the magnesiums that I'd want in one convenient bottle. That's seven forms of magnesium to help with stress and better sleep. For the entire month of November, the makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are having a Black Friday Cyber Monday blowout sale on their best-selling magnesium. All month they are offering 10% off using my unique code plus over $200 in free gifts with select purchases. Use the code BEHINDTHEHUMAN10 over at magbreakthrough.com forward slash behindthehuman. Don't worry, this code and the link are both in the show notes. I'm serious. This stuff works. Message me after you try because I'd love to hear about your results. Now back to the show. Um, back to FOMO. When, cause that, I mean, we're, we're, or at least I'm talking about it as a fairly recent term, but I mean, you were talking about, I think back in 2004, right? When you're at Harvard, is that when it first kind of came up? It was through, it was through the school, right? Just seeing kind of what was going on in the scene with events and things like that. Yeah, it was 2003 that I first started using okay. it. I had been in New York City on 9-11, 20 okay. years ago. I saw it with my own eyes. And the, after that experience, I was sort of like, you never know what's going to happen in the world. Therefore, you have to live every moment to the fullest. And mm. that's when I, I actually took the GMAT, which is you know the, the entrance exam for business school. I took it the day before 9-11 on September 10th. Wow. And so when I got into school and I had never, I mean, Harvard was not even on my radar. It was really like kind of random that I applied and I got in, which blew my mind. And so I was, I went to school and it is the most research, sorry, excuse me, choice rich environment I've ever been in. There are so many opportunities intellectually, socially, academically, uh, professionally that I just thought I need to do it all. You know, I, I've got to take advantage of this. 
but it became overwhelming and I was constantly trying to do too many things. And I started calling that a fear of missing out because I noticed that my friends, you know, we were all the same in that way. It was the culture of the institution. And that was pre-social media. I mean, when I was feeling all my FOMO, good old Mark Zuckerberg was a mile away coming up with Facebook, (laughs) which is crazy. And so I wrote an article in our school newspaper right before graduation, just to kind of just sort of put down on paper this funny thing that I had invented. Little did I know that, you know, would eventually make it to the dictionary and, and all the other places that it's gone. Yeah, it's wild. It's I remember reading that that part in your book, and I I felt exhausted <laughs> just for you with what seemed like you were at every damn event and possible thing going on. Right. Um, I'm curious though. Like, I'm glad you brought up social media because I mean that's that's obviously one of the probably most uh, obvious examples where we can see FOMO playing out. But like, ha- has the term not? always been around in some capacity? Like, do we not, like, what, what are your thoughts on, on that evolution? Or like, why is it so crazy now? You know, cause I feel like everyone, not everyone, but I feel like there, there must've been themes like way back in time as well. Right. Where like, oh yeah, we, we want to be here. We want to be there. Or I want to, you know, uh, b- bump up to that next like opportunity and, and whatnot. Right. Or that's your FOBO fear of a better option type thing. Right. So yeah. What, what's your take on just like the historic, I guess, events around these terms to like present day, I guess. Yeah. These are part of the human experience and they go back to the earliest humans. I talked to a bunch of folks as I wrote my book, anthropologists and neurobiologists, and just to really understand the sort of all the mental aspects of FOMO and the, the sort of Darwinistic aspects, I guess. And, you know, the earliest humans, if they didn't know what was going on, if they weren't following around to see where the food was, or if they didn't stick with the the group, the tribe, they'd die because you would get thrown out and you would not have the best information that you needed. And it was very perilous. And so, in fact, there are, even today, animals have a, a sort of a herd instinct. If you look at like the wildebeest when it migrates, they all stick mm. together. They all have FOMO yeah. because if they get separated, they can be picked off, right? So, that's part of who we are. But in, in the old days, it was about physical security. Now it's really about emotional security. And if you, f- you fast forward a bunch of time to like 100 years ago, there was you know this famous um, comic strip called Keeping Up with the Joneses. And it was all about this family in New York that was trying to keep up with their neighbors, the Joneses, because they had FOMO. And the funny thing is the family was called the McGinnis family, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, that there was a guy yeah. who wrote a, a, a guy up in Boston at Northeastern University who wrote a piece on the history of FOMO and he made that connection. So thank you, Joseph Regal. I was like, whoa. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's been part of our culture. The difference is the reason why we needed a new word is because FOMO was something that was very local to us. Like you could only feel FOMO really in the old days, like based on your immediate surroundings. And then with TV, of course, there was more of it. But now, due to the fact that we're constantly connected, that we have so much interconnectivity with people in our networks around the world or celebrities, even who, you know, they're on our social feeds as well. The fact that it's so easy to compare yourself to others, no matter where you are, that has really driven the epidemic of FOMO today that, by the way, it's, you know, this is not just me saying it. Clinical psychologists are writing about FOMO. I've read so many academic papers from universities all over the world talking about FOMO. It's a real thing and it's a real problem. Yeah, that makes sense. Makes total sense. So what do we do about it? You're you're the you're the guy that coined the term and then you wrote the book about it. What what like how 
from a mental fitness perspective, I mean, the big thing, one of the big things I speak about a lot is just the idea of being, getting clear, right? And first realizing or using, using prompts to help pause the autopilot so you can actually see that you're on one of these tracks in the, in, in the first place, no matter what the topic is. But I'm curious to get your perspective when it comes to uh, FOMO, like what we can, what we can do to acknowledge that we're, we're in that headspace and kind of move forward. So it doesn't send us into a loop. Yeah. And I love the way the word mental or the, the expression mental fitness, because I do think that this is a critical, there is a practice that you can undertake just like okay. you would work out to get physical fitness. Yeah. There are practices you can undertake to take, have the mental fitness to deal with FOMO. There's really three things to think about. So if we think about how FOMO is defined, I define it as an anxiety that is provoked by the perception that there's something better out there than what you're doing right now, combined with a fear of being excluded from a beneficial collective experience. So what does that hmm. all mean? It means you see something, it looks good, it freaks you out, and then you see other people doing it and you don't want to be the only one who's not. Okay, so when we think about those two elements, really, let's let's dig a little deeper. The, f- the perception something better is happening out there. It's all perception. So thinking yeah. critically about that, it's like, is this real? Could I even do this? Could I afford this? Do I have time for this? What are the trade-offs? Like just thinking critically about that thing helps you to, because in most, I mean, almost every circumstance, uh, the answer is going to be it's not as good as it looks, especially if it's, you know, filtered on your Instagram feed or whatever. Sure. So, so that's big. Um, that's a big part of it. And there's a whole process that I offer for that. The second is thinking about the herd mentality. You know, why do I want to do this? Is this something that I'm, do I have agency in this or am I just following the crowd? Am I the wildebeest? And that motivational piece is really important because like you don't, being a follower is not, it's not a pathway to greatness in life. It's not a pathway yeah. to happiness. It just isn't like, nobody's like, you know what? We're going to give this Nobel peace prize to this person, because they are the best follower in the world, right? Yeah, nobody, totally. nobody does that. <laughs> and finally, um, even if you are able to sort of do those things and, and sort of choose what you actually want and have your head clear, then there's the problem that you're in the feedback loop and there's all these things that want to take you up the path and apps and all, you know, million different sort of external stimuli. And so you have to think about how you manage that stimuli. And that can be in the form of digital wellness, in the form of meditation and mindfulness, like all the things that you can do to stop, you know, as you've mentioned, that feedback loop, right? And 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 reestablish the relationship between what you're thinking and what is real versus what you're thinking and what you are inventing in your head because of your FOMO. Yeah, I've I've often thought, <clears throat> even in in writing my own book, like just this this notion that we're we're all New York Times bestselling authors with our internal stories, right? <laughs> I mean, how true those stories feel, but in reality, like 99, back to your prompt, is is this real? It's a really, really great question to, I think, pause the loop at least and, and try to, to venture down a different track. So in terms of managing digital s- stimuli, what are some things that you found are helpful either through your research or that you're using yourself? So I've, yeah, I've done a bunch of research on this. And and at the end of the day, there are people out there who are specialists in this. So I'm not going to claim that I'm a specialist on digital wellness because, because there are people who, you know, devote their entire careers to this. So 
I will offer you some of the things that I've learned and that I practice. But obviously, if this is an area of interest, I'm sure you can de- go much deeper than we're going to go today. <laughs> sure. You're our expert today. All right. But, but you know, I just, <laughs> I, I've been following and, you know, work of others. And I, I've, so I feel like I've been borrowing liberally from their wonderful research and work. But for me, it's a couple of things. Number one, I mean, these are things that are so basic. It's like, that's the thing about all this. You're like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna give you anything right now that you're gonna be like, "Whoa, I have never thought of that." But yet, you probably don't do these things. Um, yeah. Most well, people. it's the context too, though. I think, right? Like again, mm. I mean, I think the more we can repeat this stuff, or the more that we can inject reminders, I think, in our daily lives, like then that's all. Of a sudden, then it becomes a you know beneficial and applicable. Like I I get it. I mean, any of this stuff, any of this mental fitness questions, journaling, meditation, this stuff's been around for thousands of years. Wait, you (laughs) mean I didn't invent journaling and meditation? What? I thought, no. (laughs) oh man, wait. So you just said the word inject notification. So my first one is, I don't, what's the, what's the opposite mark of inject? It would be like eject, I guess. Yeah, sure. So eject notification. So take off all your notifications. Um, I've done that. And yeah. many people have done. It's it's a good it's a good play. Uh, number two, no phone in the bedroom. Do not yeah. bring your phone in the bedroom. Just get an alarm clock. Phone is a Trojan horse. You think it's for the alarm, and then all of a sudden, you're on you know TikTok at four a.m. It's bad. Yeah. Uh, number three, you know, think deeply about why you're using social media and and have a strategy around which things you use and when, and move them off of the front page of your phone. Hide them behind. Make little rules. Like I have rules like. Only Twitter on the desktop because I had a little Twitter problem for a while. So I'm only allowed <laughs> to look at it on my computer. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think one thing that's kind of fun that I love is I had a real struggle starting a meditation practice mm-hmm. and it was something I wanted to do for a long time. And I have to credit my phone because I have this meditation app. I just use a timer. I don't do a guided, but it's called Oak. And I love yeah, their, Kevin their Rose. Oh, it's Kevin Rose. Yeah, he, yeah, he originally started that one. I, I, I use the breath work. Oh, well, we love it. Oak is wonderful. And then I have another one called Habit Share, which I use to check in every day. I have a couple of friends that are my accountability partners. And since I started this three years ago, see, I'm super, the other problem is I'm hyper competitive, so I know all my stats. But like, since I started <laughs> meditating three years ago, I think I've, I, I've only missed 38 days. Mostly okay. in the first year, because my first year was footloose and fancy free. But since then, I buckled down. And <laughs> I think that being able to meditate, actually, and even if it's 10 minutes a day, which is what I do, I don't, it's not like I'm, you know, living in a cave somewhere. But yeah. I have seen my ability to freak out has gone down by like 90%. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hello, friends. I have something to admit to you all. I am no longer recording this show out of my Mini Cooper. And surprise if you didn't know that. Thanks to the awesome humans over at Loop Phone Booths, I'm recording two podcasts in their flex booth at home. I'm also recording my audiobook, Personal Socrates, in this booth while my five-year-old is running around downstairs screaming, being a five-year-old. The booth rocks. So if you're looking for a space to take calls, record in, or just find a little quiet in your day, check them out. They're over at loopphonebooths.com. Now back to the show. I can resonate with that. It's, um, I think I, Kevin actually talked recently. I heard him on another show. I want to say it was actually Tim Ferriss. They did a random show together recently. 
And he was talking about Oak and, you know, how it started and whatnot, and that he just found he's like really diving into meditation now, like longer mm. sits type thing. And he was saying he, he was so surprised at like going past kind of like the, like what you're talking about. And I do the same type of meditation, but like the fact that he saw benefit and you're seeing benefit, I'm seeing benefits. Millions of people are, are seeing benefits of just 10 minutes a day. But when you actually then dive into you know, deeper in these practices, it, it, there's a whole other world, you know, that, that opens up. And I only share that just because I think what, or at least what I love about these practices is that there, there's just so much to explore. And mm -hmm. usually the benefits are benefits, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're not negative things in your life, in your life. So yeah, and that's by cool. The way, so, it, by the way, like, I think the thing too is I had a friend who criticized me well, you only do 10 minutes. Well, I do 30. And I said, oh, listen, for yeah. me right now, 10 minutes is sustainable. I can do it every day. And, you know, yeah. doing every day is really important. From my understanding, it's yeah. more important than length. So I was like, listen, I can stick to this and then I'll have the option to go deeper. The friend exactly. who was so judgmental, that person hasn't meditated in like two years. So it's like, you know, I think like so many things about creating new habits for new habits, like finding a way to make something sustainable is much more important than going and being a purist day one. Cause you can always yeah. go up from there. So true. So true. Yeah. And just not to have, I think this goes both ways, not to judge other people, not to judge yourself during like they're called practices for a reason. Right. And it's, uh, you know, be kind to yourself and, and, and test some stuff out, be open and explore the journey that those, those practices and those apps and all the different modalities can offer. Right. It's, uh, yeah, we overcomplicate things all the time. Like it doesn't have to be this crazy setup. Like you're getting up at 4 30 AM and doing three hours of this and that, like find what works to get started. It's the same thing with writing. I mean, you read this yeah. thing. I remember reading like they'd interview a writer in like the Financial Times or something. And the person's like, well, I get up every morning and I write from six to eight and then I'm done for the day. And I do that every day, even Sundays and all this stuff. And I was like, that is not me. I like to write at three in the afternoon. And does that make me a bad person or is my book going to be bad or whatever? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I realized that that is the creative process is a very needs to be customized to the user. And that yeah. you, when you put rules on it, all you're really doing is boxing people out from trying things and being open to, to new ideas. And, and so, yeah, I would encourage people like, I hate all that, that entrepreneurship porn around like the first five minutes of the day or like healthy morning routine habits. Like maybe that's right for you, but like maybe the best thing I can do is like oversleep and then like not even take a shower and that will make me a champion for the day. So like we all just have to yeah. find our own thing that works for us is my view. Yeah, totally. Well, that's, and, and, you know, keeping those things simple. And like you said, that stuff that resonates, then you'll, you'll stick to it. And then you put the systems in place to, to make it happen. Right. Um, and then from there, who knows, it, it can expand into so many other places. So, um, just before we wrap, I'd love to get, I mean, I've got this one question I really love again, is this real? I think it can be applied in so many different situations. Uh, and it's just a great, it reminds me of stoicism in, in, in a, in a way, right. Just kind of like focusing on the things that you can control and, and what's real in front of you type thing. Um, any other prompts that pop up in your life, either during again, big life decisions or on a frequent basis? Yeah. I think one thing that I've found extremely powerful and that it's funny because all my friends, 
and people who know me well notice it right away about me is, I, and, and it, it wasn't my old way. I used to be the micromanager. I was the person who had to pick the restaurant and would look for two days and find the perfect seat at the perfect place and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a New Yorker, right? We're all insane over here. And <laughs> I was an optimizer for sure. And with life uh, lessons and learnings, I've become somebody who, and I did this TED video about this. It's like how to make faster decisions. And I, it's really about how to outsource decision-making on everything that what I call low stakes and no stakes decision. That's like things you won't remember having decided in a, you know, a week yeah. or, or, or a month. And so I very, I outsource like a great massive chunk of my daily decision-making either to you know, flipping a coin in a sense, like I have different ways of like allowing the universe to choose something or by just telling, asking somebody else to take care of it or getting their advice. Sure. And so people notice this, they'll be like, wow, you like, you never make decisions anymore. You just outsource things. And I'm like, yeah, because they don't matter. And so I, I'm sure whatever you choose is going to be great. And if I really cared, I will, of course, no, and I will decide. But it has allowed me the freedom to use my mind, my, my brain for stuff that's way more value added. And so I would encourage people, we all have that friend, or maybe it's you who's super indecisive, finding a way to externalize decision-making on things that don't matter. It's a crazy superpower. It just gives you so much leverage over your time and energy. I just wrote down, does this matter? I think that's a good, could be a good prompt to just, again, Mm -hmm. when we get into, because it's so easy to happen, get into this looping narrative and, and, and just obsessive about the details. Like it's, it's so easy for that to spark up. To, and about to at least the dumbest right? stuff, the yeah. dumbest stuff. It's like, should I go for a run? I mean, when I was in college, I, it, that would be like a 40 minute exercise. Yeah. And now I literally look down at my watch. If the second hand's on the left, I go, if it's on the right, I don't go. Takes two oh, seconds. Oh, nice! Love it. Okay, t- tell me more. Are these are these some of those? Yeah, in the in the universe. Video. Yeah, it's called Ask the yeah. Watch. Okay, that's why that my 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 system is called Ask the Watch. I just look down. If maybe you, if you don't have a watch, you can look at your phone. If the time is even, it's a yes. If it's odd, it's a no. Okay. So it's literally like, should I, you know, should I go for a run? Should I get the fries? Should I cook or go out? You know, stuff that just like, it doesn't matter. And you're burning calories on something that doesn't matter. So push it. past it. Yeah. Love it. What, um, what are you working on now? What, what, uh, what's lighting you up? Oh my goodness. Well, I'm doing a classical for me is I always work on some things that are kind of what I call my 10%. It's like things that are, you know, very much a side project that could have huge upside, but may go nowhere. So I'm working mm. on a, a TV project right now. Um, cool which would be interesting. We'll see, but you know, it's LA, so you never know. And then I'm working <laughs> on, um, I'm kind of learning about the NFT space, uh, yeah. trying to do something there. So those are kind of some fun side projects. And then in terms of the core stuff, you know, I've been spending a lot of my time doing uh, speaking and we're actually launching a Patreon next month. Um, okay. so more on that. And I'm working on the, the podcast FOMO sapiens is going to have, you know, we're in season six now and you'll awesome. be on it right? You're yeah. coming on my show. So we'll be talking about some of the new things around your book. And yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm working on and making some new investments. But in general, um, you know, it's the same stuff I've been doing. I just doing more of it, I'd say. Yeah. Well, there's a cool, I mean, there's just a nice relaxed, um, 
how can I say, well-aligned vibe that I get from from you that, I mean, I'd be curious if I ever met you kind of in your Wall Street days, because I'm sure it would have been a completely different um, situation. But from that experience, like everything you, you, you mentioned sharing the story on the show, like I can feel it. It, it seems like you're, you're there and you're, you're having a good time doing it. You're doing work that matters to you. You're helping people on the other side. I mean, life's good. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, we all, nothing is perfect. And I'm giving you FOMO right now. I'll tell you all the, it's like plenty of, <laughs> plenty of stuff that I, you know, have to deal with in my own life and in my work and stuff. But I do, what you just said reminded me of something that I thought was, it just kind of sprung in my head, which is I used to go to Istanbul all the time for work. I was on the board of a company there and this company was like, ah, oh, it was a disaster. It went bankrupt and it was like a total nightmare. And this is when I got sick too. When I got crazy sick, as I mentioned earlier, I was just starting to feel better and I had to go on a plane to Istanbul and pull all-nighters and I got worse again. And I really, I was very upset about that. I was really mm. bummed. And I was like, why am I injuring my health for this terrible company? Like, what is going on? Like, where are my priorities? It really frustrated me. And we, I had a colleague in our office there whose name is Leela, and she's like a very connected, integrated person, super spiritual, like she's pretty new agey, like much more than I am, but you know, Reiki and all that sort of stuff, which is like not my bag, but like I respect sure. the, I, I respect the tradition. It's just not my thing. But she'd always say to me, she's like, God, you walk so fast. Like you're always in a rush. You're always in a hurry. Like you need to slow down. And I was like, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, thanks. Um, she was totally right. And now I can see the difference that I'm a way, I mean, I do more. I'm a much more like sort of productive person or a prolific person, but I just kind of slowed it down in a way that it makes it way more sustainable. Not that I'm not a manic, crazy person sometimes too, but yeah, you know, it's still, I just, it's a lot better and much more enjoyable. Yeah. Interesting how that often works, slowing down to essentially do more or do, or do more of the, the right stuff, let's just say. Mm. Right. Well, amazing. I, I mean, I can't thank you enough for your time sharing some of the strategies and uh, mental fit, fitness that we can try out and pick out to help combat some of that FOMO going out. I mean, there's no shortage of it out there. I love the idea of, of how you're making decisions on the fly and removing that decision fatigue. Um, you know, anything we can do to just clear out some of that mental fog, there's enough going on up there that, I mean, we don't need to add more, uh, more stuff in, in the mind, for example, because we all win. We all like individually, we benefit and then everyone around us, as well as the, the products and the services and the businesses we work on being clear decisions, healthy, happy minds. I mean, we all win when, when we're in a state like that. So, so thanks for dedicating your energy to, to helping people to do that. Um, and of course, if people want to really dive into, uh, you know, the, the crux of, of your work, I highly encourage you to pick up the, uh, your, you've got the two books out right now, right? Yeah. And, uh, where's the best place uh, to direct people? Well, if you want to read the books, the books are Fear of Missing Out, Practical Decision-Making in a World of Overwhelming Choice, and The 10% Entrepreneur, Live yeah. Your Startup Dream Without Quitting Your Day Job. They're both available in, you know, audio on Audible, um, on eBooks and wherever you get your eBooks and, and physical copies, wherever you get those. And my podcast is called FOMO Sapiens, where you can hear Mark 
<laughs> right around now, we're gonna we're gonna coordinate after this is all done taping. And my website is patrickmcginnis.com. Perfect. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs>